Well, here it goes. Since the YouTube generation has taken hold and dominated, decimated, reinvented and revolutionized the way that content is made and distributed in the world today, I've wanted to be a successful content maker. In a constant endless stream of cat videos, vloggers and bloggers, YouTube superstars, pranksters in their pranks, fails and wins and the weirdest shit ever thought of by humanity sitting on the internet. I generally feared there was no space in the online world for my little voice. I'm really a nobody, just some filmmaker dude from small city Canberra, from the land down under. I feared simply no one would really cared for what I had to say, and that was a hard truth. But then, sitting and watching the sunset on one of the first days of 2019, I couldn't help feeling a bit like one of my favourite movie heroes, Luke Skywalker, looking out at the twin sons of Tatooine. I yearned for something more, and I really felt that it was time to generally embrace the path that was ahead of me. And so in this moment I realised more than ever, I am a storyteller, and I have always been. It's why I became a filmmaker. And so, it was time to finally open myself up to the world. My name is Dan, I'm a filmmaker from Canberra, Australia, and these are my chronicles of a 30-something virtuoso. Welcome to Film Rhapsody with Dan Sanguinetti. In this first episode, I share my 2019 New Year resolution and I chat with filmmaker Declan Schrupp who partnered with me to bring comedian Jim Jeffries into our low budget movie, Me and My Mates vs Zombie Apocalypse. New Year's resolutions are full of shit, but we do it because it gives us a sense of where the year to come could lead us. It's almost tradition for my best friends to sit down at some point on New Year's Eve and declare our resolutions for the year to come. I've always been bothered that the tradition wasn't more focused on, say, new month resolutions or even new week resolutions. It makes more sense that we spend every moment throughout the year resoluting our progress and looking to always better ourselves, right? The fact is, is 2018 ended on a bit of a personal slump. I mean, it shouldn't have... Last year was a huge year for me, with many goals reached and blown out of the water. I worked really hard on so many different things. But what led me to feel the way I did was perhaps a symptom of doing too much. Perhaps the stress and anxiety of everything brought me close to an edge I thought I'd happily stepped away from. The truth is, I've suffered depression over the years. But in 2017, something literally broke inside me. It wasn't sudden. It was creeping slowly. Lingering. To the point I wasn't even aware it was happening, and I descended into such desperation. It was a darkness that I hadn't experienced before. A mix of frustration and anger, hate and desperation. But not at anyone, just more myself. And the thing is, I didn't shut down. I kept going, but it came my secret. I'd turn up to work, either tutoring film at a local university, or my clients' film shoots, and no one could have ever been the wiser. The difficulty was, I didn't know how to talk about it. But slowly I did, and even then, there was still shame for feeling the way I had. It's now been 15 months, with every morning I wake up and I take a drug that I physically can feel changing the way I think. 
Some of my friends weren't too keen on me taking this path, regardless of me believing that these drugs have been working for me. But it's because they are worried about me, and I think that's a million times better than them not caring at all. Though, I cannot deny that much of the success of my last year has been because I had this foundation to work from every day. I worked with my mental health practitioners to give me the best treatment, and at this point, I think they've done a great job. Mental health is a massive thing in our film industry. It is constantly unchecked, hid away as an embarrassment, and not talked about freely. This is generally the first time I'm talking about my mental health so openly, which I guess brings us back to those New Year's resolutions that I claimed were full of shit. I really do hate looking at myself in the mirror sometimes. Reflecting can sometimes cause a feeling of self-loathing or force you to focus on your past failures, rather than appreciating the goodness that might be inside of you. Trust me, I'm guilty of that, regardless of how sappy that all sounds. Making a resolution to mark a new year is much more about setting yourself some actionable goals so that you can quantify your successes. But I think we too easily fall in the trap to make superficial targets, such as go to the gym or make new friends or drink less sugar drinks. So this year I decided I was going to do something different. I wasn't going to make any particular New Year resolution. Just a single promise to myself. Work as hard as I did in 2018. Because if I could achieve what I did last year feeling not so happy with myself, imagine the incredible things I can make happen this year. I don't need to resolve anything, I just need to grow. So 2019 is going to be about being an open book. What this means is each month on this podcast, I'll be sharing with you my journey as I strive for filmmaking success in an industry built on a broken culture of self-gratification and foolish artistic endeavor, where the will of the audience sometimes is almost forgotten. I will be talking with other storytellers to hear their approach and find out what inspires them to make content. I will be delving into their ideas and beliefs of how they communicate with the audience through their work. And perhaps together, we may discover the secret to eternal happiness, or at least have a few laughs along the way. So, that's the serious part done. Up next, filmmaker Declan Shrub. You're listening to Film Rhapsody with Dan Sanguinetti. All right, reassess. She fell on a rock. Big fucking explosive rock. Boys, are you? Kill this fucking thing. I can't see you, man. What's happened? A rotter snuck into the building with Roy and Emma. I killed it. Emma got the assist. Hit me up. Don't have to hit me up. I can't stay here, you know that, right? Health and safety. Me and My Mates for the Zombie Apocalypse was released in cinemas in 2015. Written and directed by young filmmaker Declan Shrub and produced by myself and Christian Doran, the film's leads included YouTube superstar Alex Shooter Williamson, comedian Jim Jeffries, and comedy legend Greg Fleet. The behind the scenes journey has been something that I've been wanting to share for some time now, and so I thought it'd be appropriate for our first episode to delve back into the past and sit down with Declan Shrub to talk about our experiences making the film. Thanks for having me, Dan, on the first episode. It's a great honor. I love podcasts and I love you. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. We, um, we've got a long history, I guess you could say. You're going to talk about the time we kissed in Amsterdam, aren't you? You've already brought it up. I didn't want to go there, but we're already there. It was a mistake and I loved it. <laughs> we started producing... A feature film together I think as a result of a fairly a fairly coherent 
pitch that you made um, to me in Gus's. Yeah. And then that resulted in us getting some... Like, we yeah. won some competition. It didn't feel like we won, but yeah. there was some competition and that resulted in us... I think that was in 2012 as well. I think yeah. that was like later 2012. End, end of the year. Yeah, because I took part in the Screen ACT's Accelerator. No, it wasn't Accelerator Pod. It was called the Low Budget Feature Pod. Yeah. And at the end of the first few weeks of it, we had to pitch a film. And I'd written this zombie film. And I went to you because you'd made Theatre of the Dead. And I said, oh, Dan knows how to produce a zombie film. He's the only person I know. And part of the requirement was that I attach a producer um, to be able to get into the next round. So I probably just sent you a message and said, hey, I've got an idea. Can you hear it? And I, I actually, I probably would have just said, can you come on as a producer? Just lend me your name. Tell, Just say for this piece of paper that you're going to be the producer because I wouldn't have thought there was any chance of getting through. I'm just like, I need your name. And you said, you actually have to come and sit down and pitch me the idea. Oh yeah, because I'm a hard ass and I make people work. We somehow found ourselves in a position where we had to make a million dollar film and yeah. we didn't have a million dollars to do it. And that wasn't the plan either. The The low budget feature pod was meant to be a $300,000 film or something like yeah. that. That the, the idea was to do a Blair Witchy kind of story that you could make really cheap. Um, and that was what we always planned to do. So I designed this story about these telecom tradies in one location and it's and the zombies outside and instead of fighting the zombies and doing all this cool action they just sit around drinking beer and hope that the zombies don't get inside basically what do you reckon it's causing all this you know, government poisoning the water supply airborne pathogens kids on meth <laughs> nah i've dabbled with meth mate i didn't behave like this i chased people but i didn't bite them not this hard what would you say was the moment we kind of got locked in there were a few milestones and points of no return i would say yeah. so um the first one would be after we had a successful crowdfunding campaign because then in my eyes we'd taken money from people and we'd said we were going to make this and it was like a public thing um we had a lot of support from people in canberra and around australia and even a few there was a guy in canada and stuff like that so at that point i was like we actually have to make this film now because I don't want to just give people their money back and say that we failed. Um, the next milestone for me was you called me and said, uh, Jeffrey Nugent is in. And I said, um, Who who's that? Yeah. yeah. And then you said, oh, that's Jim Jeffrey's real name. Yeah. And I said, oh, okay. And I just, I don't know how you remember the phone call, but I just remember being like, oh, okay. Okay. So, so we're making this movie now. I feel... The story that we have to say is how we misuse Jim Jeffries completely. Like he's, he's, uh, his involvement in the film is my biggest regret. And it's not that he wasn't in it, but the fact is, is we didn't use and abuse him. We were too nice to him. You mean we didn't put him in the movie enough? Yeah, we, we should have used, he should have been in like every other scene we could possibly shoot. And I've that, seen people say um, in reviews like that watched it just for him and being upset that he doesn't make it through the whole film but we also had a very small amount of time with him we didn't have him for the whole shoot we only had him for less than half a th uh, yeah it was yeah, a probably third, a, third. a third of the shoot yeah but, but that's that's why what what my biggest regret has always been about me and my mates was i never went jim jeffries is 
the greatest person in the world right now and we're going to drop everything to give him the like as much involvement in that film as possible the other thing is though that the character is written way before we knew he would even be an option so that character always died halfway through we didn't think like oh when we got him and we knew how many days we had him for we we just had to make that work we couldn't say you know what let's try and squeeze more out of him yeah we were just so gobsmacked that he signed on to do it and and yeah it was it was like hanging with a, a real celebrity and he obviously came to a small town and realized what the fuck have i got myself into um i think it was a bit of a shock to him what was it like talking to him for the first time i know you had a phone call with him oh yeah i had a phone call with him a few weeks before and um the one thing i remember he said to me was um uh i don't care if the movie does well or anything he just said i just i just really need it to get good reviews and i just remember my my face would have gone white and i would have gone oh yeah and in my head this isn't the movie that's going to get good reviews this is like three guys sitting around in the telephone exchange like talking shit it's going to be funny it's going to be grungy it's going to be low budget um i don't even know if it's going to get reviews at all because we don't know what release it's going to get you know so i just remember going "Ooh." Uh, we might not have the exact, we might not be on the exact same page with that one. And this was, you know, your first big project, really. Um, you know, you can count your student projects as the experience it was enough to give you the confidence to take it on. But, you know, in, in all essence, this was the first time dealing with a, a budget and multiple outcomes and things like that and if you could go back and tell yourself how to do it better i mean like i personally i found him um intimidating yeah i was completely intimidated by him yeah i was intimidated by him too um i didn't feel too bad on the set but you know i kind of just let him do his thing and i didn't i wouldn't say i was super confident about doing the whole thing it was all a big learning experience for me I was doing a lot of things I hadn't done before, basically, through every step of it. So, um, you know, I thought I knew how to make a movie and I knew the basic process, but I'd never held a production meeting. I'd never sat with a visual effects supervisor and planned out shots. I'd never talked to a production designer about what the build will look like and what, you know, what materials will be used. Um, And you have to do all of that. Yeah, every single day was like, now you're going to talk to Russell Crowe's stuntman and you're going to walk through all the action with him and figure out how you can shoot it, how you can block it, who, when the stunt person's going to be on, when it's going to be one of the actors, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, now you're going to go talk to this guy who's an armorer who owns uh, 250 guns or something and he's worked on The Matrix and Mission Impossible and uh, he just came off Angelina Jolie's film and you're going to he's going to show you guns and you're going to pick which one you want to use and he's going to show you how they shoot and what they look like and what the blanks that he's specifically designed for them will look like on film and all these like i love doing that that was really fun working with the special effects guys where we go this is how much money we have and we're just counting out how many zombies we can have in every scene and they would say all right 
we can have two key zombies. They're going to need to be in makeup for six hours. They're going to need to have come to our studio and got a mold of their head done three months in advance. So all these fun conversations like that. Mm. We want to shoot this one in the face. We want to stab this one with a screwdriver. Then we want to stomp on its neck and we're going to make a body double and those kind of things. So it was just every day was a new experience all the way through post-production working in a post-production workflow with an actual post-production house. How do we do color grading? How do we do the editing? You know, like I've obviously edited things before, but everything was a new experience to me and it was overwhelming and intimidating and a lot of hard work. And it was also a lot of pressure because we invested our own money into it as well. So we had to not just play with other people's money, but we had a very personal, um, investment in the film financially and emotionally so it's like probably nothing in my life will matter as much as that did at the time and you know how it drained you for two years probably like it's just all your energy is can we make this into something watchable or fun for people or something that will even get seen by people the reason that he obtained my goat because he's having sex with my daughter. No one, I mean, no one is having sex with your daughter. I'm your zombie slave, bitch. Daddy's home. I feel like Greg is someone that I really shared a voice with where everything he did I loved and anytime I threw him an idea, he would just knock it out of the park and I'm like, I would work with this guy forever. One of those things, like um, at the rap party, I told him to do this joke where he should get up and do a big speech about how much he hated working on this thing and it was the worst thing ever. And he was into it and he started doing it, but he got no response from anyone in the crew. They just thought he was like really doing this horrible speech and he just pulled out of it like 20 seconds in. It was like, Declan told me to do it, but it was like the funniest thing ever. (laughs) Um. Once we released the film, I think one of the best bits that I felt was we got to show the film around the country and actually travel yeah. to different places. And that, that you know... that is- For me, that was an experience that I did not savor enough. Yeah. And um, if I do, I really look forward to being able to do that again with something because I really enjoyed it. Um, going to Melbourne, going to Brisbane, playing to these like little packed theatres and hearing people laugh all over the country. It was like, um, yeah, just something that I need to make sure that I take the time to enjoy next time. Yeah. The bad part was that our two Canberra premieres, which were the most attended, um, oh, and, our, and the Sydney premiere, I was like so sick that I'd been in bed for two weeks and I could barely talk and my voice was like, I just had a really bad fever. I'd never been that sick in my life and never since. And that took a lot out of it because I just was so hot and feverish and had a headache and like couldn't speak that it made it hard to enjoy the Canberra premieres, but I loved playing it around the rest. It's funny you say that too, because um, the Canberra and Sydney premieres for me were, they were the worst, some of the worst days I think I've had working on the project. Um, yeah. I, I was, I was, I don't know. I, I left those screenings felt like I'd failed for some reason. I or, thought Sydney was all right. And then the next night, the Canberra one, which was the biggest one of all, um, I just remember, I think I was sitting next to Andy True and I just looked at him and we were both like, this isn't like going that well. 
Like yeah. the not, the one last night was way better, and then later we had other screenings in Canberra that were like really the well. best. Yeah, the best yeah. we had. Yeah. You've worked on a on a new script um, that I think is some of your best work. I want to focus a bit about the process because um, you applied for development funding. Yeah. So I actually applied for it the year before, um, and I got rejected. And when I went, like, you know, you're allowed to get feedback on your application. Yeah. And they said, oh, you didn't include um, this letter from the consultant that you're going to be using to help the script development consultant. And I was like, oh, but I had that. And they were like, oh, it wasn't in your application. And I realized that I just, you have to upload so many documents in this thing. It's like 12 documents. Yeah. And I just had not uploaded that one. But it was in my folder of everything else. I just hadn't sent it to them. So, and it was like a key one that, they yeah. can't give you funding if you if you don't tell them how it's going to be used, yeah. basically. Um, and so I was like, wow, I, uh, I screwed up pretty big time there, just not yeah. uploading that form. So I spent the next year writing the first drafts of it myself. And then the next year, I came back with a new revised application and said, now I've written it. Now I want to get a script development consultant to help me take it to the next level and rewrite it twice. So I did the first draft myself and then the next year I did two drafts with um, a script development consultant. Yeah. And so, and in part of that application as well, you, you had a bit of money aside so that you could focus on it as well. Is that, is that how you formed your... That's your... right. It's technically the first time I've been paid to write, I think. Um, I've since been paid to write a couple of other short film scripts and things for people that I know, but they're like they're not like big writing jobs. They're just yeah. they the people know that I like to write and can write in their in their voice. So um, yeah, that was the first time that I really got money to 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 write and also to pay someone else to help me develop it. Um, and it was a good experience. I really enjoyed working with someone. It's really good to have ideas to bounce off. Met with them every six weeks or so. They would read my drafts. We would just sit there for like hours and hours and talk about different ways the story could go. And it just keeps opening up new avenues. And then by the time I finished the third draft, um, I was pretty happy with how it was reading and the place that we'd taken it to. What would you say to a filmmaker like you who's just about to start there, me and my mates, Aussie? Look, I'm not the most uh, optimistic guy. Um, and I'm also not the most inspirational quote man. Um, I think you have to weigh it up yourself. Are you willing to take this risk? Are you willing to invest in yourself? Are you willing to not work a job while you work on this film? Um, that's why it's good to do it when you're young, because if you have a mortgage and you have a family, you pretty much can't take that kind of risk. So if, if you t tick those boxes and you're ambitious, um, I think you should get out there and try and do it. Um, you might have to settle for less because we know people that have wanted to do something bigger budget and um, they're so confident about their product that they keep waiting until they get an A-lister yeah. or they keep waiting till they can get like $5 million instead of making it for 1.5, which they could have done, which they had offers on the table for. Yeah. But if you keep waiting for the dream... The dream may never come. So I think you do have to get out there. Um, you also have to realize that whatever you do is not going to be perfect. And it's about how you 
deal with the problems when they arise and how you compromise with them and what you learn from them because the next one is going to be where you can apply everything you've learned. So you can't expect to know it all. Well, Deck, thanks for talking with me today and this is a little chance for you now to plug anything. Yeah, definitely. Um, I put comedy sketches on YouTube periodically uh, under the name Quiperb, which people seem to have trouble pronouncing and reading. So it's Q-U-I-P-P-U-R-B, Quiperb. You can just think of it like superb quips and it's uh, sketch comedy on YouTube. You've been listening to Film Rhapsody with Dan Sanguinetti. That was our first episode, and I thank you for listening to our story. Next month in Canberra, it is Lights Canberra Action, a quite infamous scavenger hunt style film competition. And in the next episode, we'll be talking about what it takes to make a high quality short film in just 10 days. So, until then, I'm Dan. And thank you for listening.